Welcome to episode number 10 of the EAIE podcast. I'm Laura Rumbly, Associate Director for Knowledge Development and Research. In this episode, we're bringing you a perspective from the world of international schools, and specifically touching on some of the connections between international schools and higher education institutions by way of a conversation with Nico Avers. Nico serves as Director of Higher Education Services at the Council of International Schools, or CIS. As you'll hear in our conversation with him, CIS is a global player in the international school community with an extensive membership network of both international schools and higher education institutions around the world. For many post-secondary institutions seeking to enroll internationally oriented and globally engaged students, international schools stand out as fertile ground for recruitment. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has complicated this fundamental connection between international schools and higher education institutions. And there's also more to the story of the interface between these two sectors. For example, international educators in both higher education and at the school level share a variety of interests in other key areas, notably in relation to cultivating students as global citizens. In the following interview, Nico Avers talks us through some of these very interesting and highly current dynamics from his perspective at CIS. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting with Nico. Nico, it's really wonderful to have this opportunity to talk with you. We are neighbors here, in a sense, in the Netherlands, but don't often get a chance to connect. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Laura. It's always a pleasure to work with you. And, and I'm really, really pleased that you've given me the opportunity to speak with you in this podcast. So let's get right into it. For those who may be somewhat less familiar with what the Council of International Schools does and is, could you give us a sense of what our EAE podcast listeners should know about CIS's scope and focus? Yes, of course. Well, as you know, Laura, I've worked in international education since the early 90s, and most of the time I worked in internationalization of higher education, working for universities in different countries and for international organizations. But CIS is really the perfect fit for me because it's a, it's a global nonprofit membership community committed to high quality international education. And what I like so much about the Council of International Schools is that it connects schools and universities. So in our community, we have both. We have more than 1300 institutions, um, 750 or a bit more than 750 primary and secondary schools representing 600,000 students and over 600 colleges and universities, and they're literally all over the world in 123 countries. Another aspect that attracted me to join CIS is that it's a truly global organization. Huh? Um, as your st our staff is also located all over the world. So not only our institutions, but also the staff. So we were in fact already used to working online before COVID. And what we do at CIS, we offer all kinds of professional services to schools, higher education institutions and individuals and global citizenship. And that's another aspect that attracted me is at the center of everything we do at CIS. So for the schools, a strong focus is on accreditation and CIS is actually uh, recognized worldwide for its rigorous accreditation uh, by ministries, Department of Education, universities, and it really demonstrates the school's commitment to high quality international education as a mark of quality assurance. So at schools, we work with the heads of schools and those responsible for accreditation. And in fact, uh, within CIS, there's a whole department of school support and evaluation offices, which is actually our, our largest team. Uh, 
Uh, in my case, however, as Director of Higher Education Services, I oversee the university membership globally and the interface with schools. So for me, the work is about facilitating school-university collaboration and partnerships. As you know, I joined CIS in March, just when COVID hit the world. And one of my first projects at CIS was uh, to organize a webinar series and to host it, Monitoring a Changing Landscape. And I interviewed panels of university admissions and recruitment officers in different regions of the world, providing updates as to how they were dealing with COVID and about how they were adjusting their admissions procedures and university policies under these challenging circumstances. And that was so interesting because it really brought together our community in a very interactive way. And we thought that this would be a way for school counselors in our community to get information that they can use to inform their students about what's going on in the universities. But in the end, we also had a lot of university representatives uh, participating in the webinars who really wanted to learn from their peers. What are other universities doing? So in the coming months, we will actually be hosting another series of webinars under the same title, Monitoring and Changing Landscape. But this time it will be the other way around. So it will be school counselors from different regions in the world presenting to university admissions and recruitment officers. And I think that this is just a small example of what makes CIS unique. The membership is both schools and universities and we are really providing a platform for, for them working together in student recruitment, networking, and professional development. And when I look at that collaboration, uh, traditionally our focus has been a lot on the transition from international school students to universities. And even though our membership is institutional, the majority of the contacts at universities is within the admissions and recruitment offices. And at schools, the accreditation process also includes well-being and global citizenship. And I'm leading actually as a part of my, my job, a global citizenship team. And, and maybe I can tell you a little bit more about that topic uh, later. But when we are looking at school university collaboration, well-being and global citizenship could also be included apart from that traditional uh, focus on, on recruitment and school university transition. Actually, all those areas, there's a lot that international schools and universities can learn from each other and do together. So a really interesting and rich array of areas in which CIS is working. And as you say, I think it offers an extremely interesting platform for us to talk about this notion of transition from secondary school to tertiary education and really the international dimensions of this in some very particular ways. So getting down a little bit into the, the meat of some of the things you've already mentioned, based on the conversations that you've been having and the monitoring of, of what's been going on, particularly over the last year, what do we think we know about how students um, who attend the secondary schools in the CIS network are currently thinking about higher education generally and international higher education experiences more specifically? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I'm sure many admissions and recruitment professionals have been asking these questions many times this year. This year. And as I mentioned, uh, we are facilitating networking and communication within our network and for example, the upcoming webinar series will be exactly about this topic, eh, where school counselors will share with university admissions and recruitment staff what trends they are seeing when it comes to student interest and behavior. But of course, uh, nobody really knows. We are all learning and, and adjusting continuously. And I could share with you a little bit what we've learned uh, from our virtual student recruitment fairs. As I said, I started working at CIS mid-March and immediately, we were dealing with the question, what are we going to do with our student recruitment fairs? And you have to know 
that traditionally the CIS Higher Education Services Department, which I lead, has been highly successful in organizing in-person student recruitment fairs and tours in all regions of the world. But very soon it became clear that we would have to move to the virtual world and our schools and universities were requesting us to organize alternative ways to reach their objectives, giving international school students and their counselors access to high quality higher education institutions worldwide and for our university members to reach those students now that traveling was no longer possible. So our team, the higher education services team, developed a series of eight large regional student recruitment fairs in the fall. And the number of universities that signed up was actually larger than ever before. And we realized that the virtual world actually makes our services more accessible, which is of course a very positive thing. What turned out to be a challenge though, were the students. And school counselors let us know that it was far more challenging to let students go and leave their classes to attend the fair than it would be in, in the case of an in-person event. And also the university staff mentioned that the engagement of students via text chat or video chat was challenging. And if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. Imagine us, CIS, coming to a particular city or a particular school hosting a fair with all these representatives of universities in their boots and their information, that is hard to be unnoticed. So schools will allow their students to go and participate and attend the fairs. However, with all the challenges that schools were facing uh, this fall, the priority was really on the basic. Classes had to go on. So it was difficult for, for school counselors to have their students attend uh, the fairs. And we offered them actually in the daytime, in the nighttime, but still, um, Many students also use it as a way to, to find information rather than to interact uh, with university representatives. And that is actually the second aspect. If you think about how you interact normally with students in an in-person event, maybe if you have 10 students at your booth, uh, there might be one who, has a, who comes prepared and has a question for you, but all the others, in fact, you are, you, you are used to reaching out to them and, and, and giving them a brochure and, and giving them the pitch about your university. But of course, in the virtual world, that actively reaching out to the more passive students is very difficult, if not impossible. And of course, the larger the number of universities, the more overwhelming it is for students and therefore might have been less in interaction as well. So that is what the admissions and recruitment colleagues felt to be very frustrating. And that happened everywhere and in all kinds of virtual events, of course. So as I mentioned, we are learning continuously and together with our members and adjusting our events. So what we are doing for the spring is we are now creating smaller scale fairs and we started developing them with the schools. We realized that the ownership of the schools is crucial to get students engaged. We cannot just simply organize a fair and then hope the schools will commit and the students will come. We have to start with the schools. So we hope and expect that this will be a better experience for the schools, the universities, and ultimately for the students. And what might be interesting is to mention that we observed some regional trends when we looked at these uh, virtual student recruitment fairs. If we look at the number of leads per university in the different regions, there seems to be a slight evidence that students are looking for universities closer to home. Makes sense, eh? in, in, in times of uncertainty, you don't wanna go too far away. And uh, we've seen less focus on the US. So those were the universities that were getting less leads. But other Western countries, particularly the UK, Canada, and European countries were doing very well. Well, of course, what I just shared about our experience is just 
a superficial observation huh? and it's not necessarily reflective for all that students are thinking of higher education in general. What we keep hearing anecdotally is uh, from counselors is that students still want to go to university, but they may be adjusting their expectations about location and timing, maybe considering a gap year. And also talking with those admissions and recruitment staff and, and agents in our network, several of them have mentioned that actually they're noticing a significant increase in international applications this year. And that last year, their numbers were actually not that much affected by COVID. It's very interesting. So I think there are changes and students are uh, changing where to go and, and maybe when to go, uh, but they still want to go to university internationally. So there's a lot of information that we're beginning to be able to understand and collate, and of course, a lot of questions remaining about what's really going on and what are all the variables that are in the minds of students and of course of institutions as we navigate this really complicated time. One of the key elements that you've um, alluded to at the very beginning of our conversation was this notion of the central piece of global citizenship in the international uh, school environment. I wonder how international schools and higher education institutions might be able to reinforce each other's efforts when it comes to the development of these global citizenship skills and sensibilities, which we know are so interesting at the moment in international higher education circles. And again, you know, certainly seem to be so central at the international school level. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating topic. And, and actually it's become very timely. And as I mentioned, global citizenship is at the center of what we do at CIS. And if you look at international schools, um, as part of the accreditation procedure, they have to define uh, global citizenship in their context. Uh, they have to explain how they implement it in their curriculum and extracurricularly, and how they assess students' um, um, development in global citizenship. And I have a personal interest because I am doing a PhD on um, global citizenship and how that is implemented in short-term faculty-led programs at US universities. And actually, I didn't find that kind of a comprehensive approach where it goes from defining, implementing, and assessing. Uh, so I'm really fascinated now to also do research on how schools are uh, defining their global citizenship concepts, the competencies, the values, the attitudes that are related to it, each in their own context. And that makes it so interesting because we have a truly international worldwide context. So in fact, um, what I'm working on the coming months is actually uh, reaching out to university researchers interested in doing research uh, at international schools on topics related to global citizenship and intercultural learning. And this summer, we will be organizing uh, a symposium, um, a global citizenship symposium and it's really related to inclusion through diversity, equity, and anti-racist practices at schools and universities. So anybody in the EAIE audience interested, please let me know. So this year, the focus of our global citizenship work has been a lot on, on anti-racism and diversity, equity, and inclusion, as in many organizations. And we worked on it both internally within our CIS organization um, we created um, an, a committee, and we call it IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Anti-Racism. And we did self-assessment of our organization. For our members, we, were, uh, we organized a series tackling racism workshops. And um, we organized three workshops, each offered in two time zones, and they were all fully booked. So we're going to repeat those 
in the spring. And of course, this is a lot of change and a lot of work to be done uh, on top of COVID actually. Uh, but I also believe that in fact, this whole discussion about diversity, equity and inclusion is just at the beginning. And, and there's a lot to talk about when we look at the purpose and the role of international education, uh, education in this uh, uh, related to, to societal change. So maybe we have to do another podcast about that specific topic. Oh, absolutely. That's a very rich uh, mine of conversation and information to, uh, to explore. I feel strongly about that. So already doing so much, uh, CIS really is, is you know, extremely active in thinking about these matters of international education along a continuum of education. I wonder, you know, thinking a little bit toward the future, how is CIS thinking about expanding its knowledge base in its areas of interest? You know, it's particularly with respect to the dynamic between international schools and higher education uh, institutions that are interested in international school graduates. Wonderful, yeah. Well, if you look at it more broadly, as I mentioned before, we are looking to strengthen that collaboration between schools and universities in the area of international education, in areas around global citizenship, work preparedness, well-being, and that has to do with, 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 with child protection at schools, but also student well-being in universities, and that transition students from school to university, and that is, of course, uh, related to assessment and admissions, and, of course, uh, the whole area of recruitment. And in the area of recruitment, we, we, we have been very active, huh? and that's traditionally the connection of schools and universities with over 1,300 institutions in 120 countries. And what we do, I mentioned it before, we organize these uh, student recruitment fairs, uh, student recruitment tours, we have professional development and networking conferences. We, have, we, we bring people in, in touch with each other, uh, exchanging uh, contacts of, of our members. We do webinars where they interact with each other and we have a registry of students who indicate uh, what they're interested in in studying um, at a foreign university. When we look at networking, it's, it's about engaging um, universities with the guidance counselors and, and students at the international schools. But it's also about the international community of admissions and guidance professionals who seek to share knowledge with each other and learn from each other. And for professional development, I mentioned a lot of our events. We do training, workshops, webinars, and share data and resources. So, as I mentioned before, part of my role is to deepen and strengthen collaboration uh, with universities in the areas of expertise, which include and also go beyond our traditional recruitment activities. I'm also interested in diversifying our university membership, getting new universities on board. So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful, Laura, for, for having given me the opportunity to share a little bit about CIS to the EIE community. And I really hope that uh, we can work on strengthening the relation between our two organizations and of course, between the members of our two organizations. So thank you once again. Thank you, Nico. I really appreciate your taking the time. There is so much for all of us to learn about the dynamics with international education across the, the various levels of education and to have a sense of, of all the different kinds of activities and resources that organizations like CIS are developing and trying to put out there to enhance our knowledge base. So thank you for sharing those details with us and we look forward to talking with you more, I'm sure, in the future. 
It was a true pleasure, Laura. And I really hope that this is uh, the beginning of a, a very nice collaboration between the institutions and all our members. So looking forward to a next opportunity to see you again. Thank you very much. That was Nico Avers, Director of Higher Education Services at the Council of International Schools. In general, I think it's extremely useful and important for the international higher education community to take note of trends and issues in internationalization that are at work in other levels of education. So very naturally for me, this makes international schools a quite fascinating sector to explore. More acutely at the moment though, as the international higher education community faces new challenges and opportunities after a year of disruption and with much uncertainty ahead, I think it can be particularly enlightening and encouraging to consider how other actors across the education pipeline are experiencing and learning from these developments. Bottom line, I do hope the conversation in this episode has given you some interesting food for thought in your own work. And of course, there's always more to come from the EAIE. Now that we're fully into the swing of things in 2021, you might be interested to know that our popular EAIE Academy is moving online. The first online academy courses will be offered in February and March of this year. You can find out more and secure your place on the first course, which will focus on the very hot topic of virtual exchange, by visiting our website, www.eaie.org. Also, if you haven't done so already, it's still possible to take out membership for 2021. EAE membership offers you discounts on learning events like the Academy, as well as access to exclusive resources and member events. Again, turn to our website for more information about both our individual and our group membership options. Thank you for listening to the EAE podcast and for liking or sharing us on social media. We appreciate your support and feedback immensely. Our next episode should be published in just two weeks' time, and we look forward to connecting with you then. For now, all good wishes from the EAIE.